Grow your IT career with online IT training from Full Stack Journey sponsor, IT Pro TV. Just for you listening, there is a special offer, a seven-day free trial and discount of 30% off all plans. Visit itpro.tv slash full for seven days free and 30% off. Use promo code full at checkout. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. Thanks so much for listening. I am your host, Scott Lowe. And my goal today, as always, is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies that are present in today's data centers and cloud environments. Now, I'm very excited about uh, this month's episode because I am being rejoined by a previous guest of the podcast. So joining me is Patrick Kelso, who first appeared on the Full Stack Journey podcast in May of 2017, so a little over three years ago. Hard to believe the podcast has been running for that long. But he was on episode five of the Full Stack Journey podcast, and he has agreed to come back to the podcast, and we're going to sort of revisit some of the topics that we discussed on the podcast previously and see how uh, time and experience over the last three years has changed our viewpoints, if at all. So thank you so much for joining me, Patrick. Uh, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Scott. Excellent. Thank you for having me back. Uh, of course, it's great to have you back. I was certainly very surprised when you know, I got a random you know, Twitter notification that someone had listened to the three-year-old podcast and thought it was great. Yeah, it's, it's funny how sometimes, uh, you know, even, even tweets, I, I have people who end up replying to tweets that are, you know, a couple years old. And I'm just, how, how in the world did you find that? Or, you know, how did you, how did you go back and listen to the podcast or anything? So it is surprising sometimes the longevity of uh, content that we create. I had a person contact me recently about a blog post I wrote in uh, 2012, uh, eight years ago. And uh, even farther back, I had some podcasts, or not some podcasts, excuse me, some blog posts in 2007 around uh, Unix integration into Active Directory and stuff that people were contacting me about for like a decade afterwards. It's just a, 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 a crazy. Some technology takes a long time to change, so they're probably just as relevant now. You're probably right. You're probably right. So for folks who haven't listened to episode five, um, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? Oh, so I'm a, oh. actually that's one big difference between episode five and now is at the start of episode five, I introduced myself as a, an engineer, whereas now I, I don't feel I'm an engineer anymore, but uh, let's, we'll get to that. Uh, so my name is Patrick Kelso. I'm a, uh, I manage a team at a university now working on an internal consulting team. Uh, and our mission is to facilitate a, a general uplift of the IT operations of the university to a cloud native DevOps full-stack type focus, uh, which is a really challenging and interesting role. Uh, I've been in that role for about six months. And previous to that, I'd uh, basically from when we last spoke, I'd been working in uh, cybersecurity and then moved into consulting. So I went to Deloitte and spent a year with them working on cloud. And then I, I went off to, to do something that involved slightly shorter days. I found that my career moved from being an engineer. So over the year from when we last spoke to, to when I joined Deloitte, my career moved from being an engineer purely focused on the technical issues uh, to more of a consultative uh, advisory position 
but still very relevant to stay hands-on keyboard experience as well. Awesome. Uh, great to hear that, uh, you know, the last three years have, have seen some, you know, growth uh, and, and change for you. Uh, we talk about how change is the only constant for folks who are in the IT industry, but um, here we see that being played out, uh, you know, in real life. So um, for the sake of folks who might want to contact you, you know, via Twitter or follow your blog or anything, if you have that, any, um, you know, what, any online contact information you want to share with listeners before we get into the discussion? Yeah, so I'm very easy to find, Patrick Kelso. So at Patrick Kelso at Twitter, um, on LinkedIn, Patrick Kelso, patrickkelso.com, also my website, uh, not a blog. I've tried running a blog and I found that that's one thing I have never managed to master the art of is updating a blog on a regular basis. Uh, so I disabled the blog feature because it was horribly out of date, even worse than you know, integrating Active Directory and Unix systems. Huh. So I, uh, I also uh, spend a lot of time in, a, in Slack these days, but mostly in public channels. So the RAND Leadership Slack, uh, which I believe you're also on, Scott. Yes. And uh, the generally Slack's around conferences. So the conferences I go to often use Slack now as a forum, but those Slacks tend to live throughout the year and they're a bit quiet during the year, but they do provide a, a good opportunity to ping people that you met at a conference through the Slack channel. So uh, the DevOps Enterprise Summit, the uh, Usenix Lisa conference, those type of events. Awesome. Great. Now listeners can, uh, can uh, find you online in case they're interested in following up at any of the discussions we have. So... Um, I was going to ask you, you know, what has changed in the last three years? We know that, um, you know, obviously your role and your focus has changed. You're not necessarily as much individual contributor now as you are a combination of, you know, team lead and uh, contributor. You know, what other uh, aspects have changed? Like, uh, you know, what about your technology interests or you know, specific, uh, you know, sort of focus areas? How have, how have those changed over the last uh, three years or so? Uh, from a technology perspective, I think uh, three years ago, I was only just starting to explore. I'd just left uh, Puppet. I'd worked at Puppet for a couple of years. So I was only just starting to explore other uh, configuration management tools. Uh, I can say with some confidence that, uh, and while I'm not hands-on every day, I still think Puppet's one of the better ones in an enterprise environment. Uh, but also Docker, Kubernetes, all of the uh, ancillary tools that sit around that. My focus has very much been on... Uh, more of the, the enterprise side of how do we use these tools? How do we get them so we can get all the advantages but not have to run you know, a Google-type SRE team that we just don't have in-house at this time? The other technologies are generally, it's, it's again, probably a reflection of where I've moved to, but it's around the learning and collaboration and how do we share stuff internally as a team? How do we, how do we help ourselves and how do we make sure that we're getting the, the contact and collaboration? And that was before COVID forced us all to work from home. And so now with, with the entire team being remote, I'm sure that that uh, is even more important than it was previously. Yes. Uh, my team, we were already used to working remote. We, uh, from when I, before I joined, the, the team had always had a day or two a week where they worked from home. So for us, it really wasn't that much of a change. But for some of the other teams, uh, there are people who would come into the office every day for for years, if not decades, and did not adjust well to the not bumping into people, not being able to have the... Uh, when you randomly bump into someone and uh, you find out you're both working on the same problem, um, but it, it was just... We've, we've struggled to get some of those tools working at a scale within the organization, and I think a lot of companies have. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, that that challenge is not 
certainly not unique to your organization. I think that lots of organizations um, have been having to rethink how they collaborate, rethink how they work together. Similar to your story, you know, the team that um, I was on over the last couple of years uh, was already fully remote, um, 100%. And so the shift wasn't tremendously difficult for us, uh, but the other teams with which we interact um, did have some adjusting to do. So I certainly understand, you know, where you're coming from and uh, and can can empathize with the struggles that you're describing, for sure. Serendipity. Right, right. Sorry, I was just going to say serendipity is the word I was looking for. When you just bump into someone in the office and it turns out they've already solved the problem you're trying to solve or they, you know, they've got just, they just mentioned one thing. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about what tools to use and for making a podcast. And it's changed a bit since we did this three years ago. And it's that serendipitous uh, running into someone and going, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. What are you doing? Oh, I've just started doing a podcast. Oh, what tools are you using? Uh, that type of thing. It can't happen when everybody's sitting at home. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. There's a, there's a spontaneity um, or you know, a serendipity, as you point out, uh, for those sort of things. And the, I think it's, it is something really important to consider as a, uh, it's, it's a drag on your ability to grow yourself in your career. If you're not the type of person who naturally reaches out and asks people and talks to people or just you know, shouts out in a, in a big group channel and says, hey, I'm stuck. Does anyone know how to do X, Y, Z? Then you're really, uh, you're really isolated uh, compared to the people that will, you know, like myself, I will quite happily stand up and ask a stupid question. And that means that you know, sometimes I look really stupid when I ask some of my questions. But it also means that I've made sure that if anyone knows the answer, I'm going to find out. I'm not just pinging one person privately going, do you know how to do this? It's, it's about making, you know, trying to communicate that out. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a need to be far more conscientious about creating documentation and documenting everything and sharing that documentation with folks when you are distributed that way and can't just, you know, throw, you know, a question over the, the cubicle wall or walk around the corner to your coworker's office or whatever the case may be. Um, you have to be a little more deliberate, maybe as a better term, about, uh, about documenting everything and sharing that documentation and, and communicating with the entire team and making sure that everybody has access. Uh, to that information. Now, I was listening back to the podcast um, from three years ago, and there were a couple of um, sort of key points that really stood, kind of stood out to me as I was listening to it. One of the ones, uh, one of the points that you made in the first show was balancing the need for the immediate versus focusing on what's next or where you want to be. And we were talking in that case about, you know, developing skills that you need sort of right now, right where you are versus developing skills that you're going to need um, in the next role or in the future, maybe the same role, but in the future. I'm curious to know, like over the last few years and in, in your role transition and the new things that you've taken on, what have you learned in that regard that might be helpful to listeners? And, you know, how has your viewpoint on that shifted or changed at all? I think it's still very important. And it, it's still very hard to do right. Uh, and nobody knows what the future's going to need. I'm sure there are plenty of people that spent a lot of time learning how to use uh, Rancher and Mesos before they both pivoted and became Kubernetes with extra bits. Um, it, it, nobody can get it right every time. But one thing, and I probably should have mentioned this before, but what's changed in the last three years is I, I went back to university and I now have an MBA. And that was 
that was a very conscious decision where I was at work and I was talking with uh, with this customer that I worked with. Uh, I, I worked for a big multinational vendor and I was at our, I was sort of the engineer on site working on some uh, big data systems. And I kept making recommendations for how they could make this work faster, better. You know, the project was in danger of going out over scope, out of budget, everything horrible. And I just felt that nobody was taking me seriously uh, with some of my recommendations because they weren't technical recommendations. They were they were recommendations around the, the way the project was run and the way the, the people were involved in the project. So after some uh, soul searching and a, a long conversation with one of the senior managers there, I thought I need to get I need to, to go and learn these things. And I've already read all the books, but people can't tell that I've read all the books and, and they don't know what experience I have. So I had to make a decision then of the immediate versus the what's next of, you know, the immediate was Rancher and Mesos and Kubernetes and, and all these other tools. But the what's next was, if I want to have these conversations about, you need to invest in your people, you need to provide a training budget, you need to give people time, then I need to have a business qualification, not a technical one. So I, I eventually, after a bit of searching, enrolled uh, at the University of Technology in Sydney and started doing an MBA part-time and then switched last year to a full-time uh, MBA program that they were running, which uh, I, I completed at the end of the year. I should point out, I also now work at the University of Technology, Sydney. I'm not sure if that's Stockholm Syndrome. It's just that the job came up while I was just finishing my MBA and I'd actually taken a leave of absence from my previous role. And it was really convenient to have a job where I could then walk across to the classroom, which was one street over. Doing all of that meant I had to put the technical skills to one side. And that was a, a, a call I made from where I was in my career. I thought I was able to, I still understood them and I still used them in my home lab and I was still comfortable that I knew what they did, just not necessarily how they did it. So I was still able to offer value in, in the workplace and I was moved to a more of an architecture advisory role which meant that I didn't need to go deep on all of those skills. I just had to be a lot more general across the skills. And we talked last time about uh, T-shaped and pie-shaped skill sets. And, and now I, I don't even know what to, you know, it's like a caterpillar. There's a hundred uh, little legs coming down out of it now. So that's, that's good to know. Um, you know, that, that could spawn a whole series of questions um, about, you know, transitioning from, you know, a strictly technology-focused role into more of a technology-slash-business focus role. I know I've had some guests on the past that have discussed that, but, you know, just kind of taking a, a question from, from kind of where I am right now in that I'm in a similar situation where I may at some point soon need to transition into a slightly less technical role. And I actually kind of struggle with that. I wonder, did you, like, was that a, that decision to sort of step away from the technology? Was that a difficult one for you, I guess is what I'm asking. It was, and it, it, it's a daily struggle. Um, I have to constantly remind myself that I'm not there. To, uh, someone comes out, my boss comes out and he says, I need you to do X, Y, Z. I have to remind myself, he doesn't need me to do X, Y, Z. He needs me to get my team to do X, Y, Z. Uh, especially you know, if that's a hands-on technical thing. And I'm still currently, uh, I sit across both worlds and, and partly that's just the situation as it is at the moment with, with all of the challenges of, uh, of everybody being remote and the team not being able to grow efficiently. So you know, hiring at the moment is really hard, but it was a very, it was a very hard decision because I love technology and I love playing with technology. I, you know, I, I will quite happily spend my weekend with my home lab building up and, and destroying Kubernetes clusters and trying Helm charts and spinning up five different VMs to test out whether or not I can get 
Google authentication working with my with Pam on Linux and that type of thing. But I just realized that what I the challenges I was seeing in the workplace, for me, I didn't feel they needed to be solved with technology anymore. The technology was great. It was the fact that everybody was still expected to be working 100% of the time with no downtime and no opportunity. And I thought maybe I can give people that opportunity to, to get that downtime. So one of my engineers recently, uh, he'd been concerned that he wasn't getting any, enough time for training with working from home and having the kids at home and, and all, of that, all that that entailed. So when his kids were able to go back to school a couple of weeks ago, I told him, take, the next, you know, take a couple of days next week, book your calendar out, reject every meeting and just spend those days doing training. And we're very lucky we were able to do that. We, we don't have a huge operational uh, role in our organization, but it meant he was able to get down and focus. And even when one of the things uh, that he managed broke, I was able to resolve it because I still had enough technical skills to work out what had happened uh, without having to interrupt him, uh, which was very convenient. You know, a, a pure manager that didn't have the technical background would have had to interrupt his training to get him in to fix that problem. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I, I guess it's uh, reassuring to hear that, you know, it is, it is a daily struggle, right? <laughs> that it is something that you, you deal with on an ongoing basis. You know, those of us who are very, very passionate about technology and who are very deeply um, interested and curious about technology, having to make that decision to perhaps, you know, step away slightly from that focus, um, it, it can be challenging. So I guess... The, 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 the takeaway there for listeners would be, you know, if you find yourself in that, in that sort of position, um, you know, as it sounds like Patrick did and does, and it sounds like I might, um, you know, just know that you're not alone and, you know, maybe we can start up a support group on Twitter or something. Um, so uh, I, I'm curious, you know, like your discussion there about, um, you know, sending that, that team member, you know, hey, go, go, you know, do this, this development that you needed to do. You know, we were, we were just talking about, you know, balancing the need for the immediate, you know, what you have to do in your current job versus, you know, what's next and where you want to be. And I think, you know, your decision to, to say, I'm going to go get an MBA because I need to be able to have the credentials slash credibility to be able to make these recommendations that are not just technical recommendations, but, you know, business process recommendations is a great example of that, of saying, you know, hey, this is where I am. I know I need to be there. So let me make the necessary steps. Um, as somebody who is now sort of also helping lead a team, I guess that for you kind of extends now into helping your, your team members balance that. What do we need right now versus what's coming down the road? Would you say that's true? It is. It, uh, it's part of moving from an individual contributor role to that manager leader role is you do have to start worrying about a lot more than your own needs. Uh, and I very much, uh, I very much see my role with them as to help them have, you know, grow their career in the direction they need. So I might need someone who knows everything about uh, Grafana and Prometheus. But if none of my team is interested in going down that path, is it right for me to force them to, to learn all of these tools to build something that I want? When actually, if I just said to them, what I need is a metrics and monitoring solution that can provide a nice pretty dashboard and left them to it, would they deliver me something that would be fit for purpose? And that's, uh, uh, universities in Australia are usually a government organization. They're part of the state government, which means that they have all of the rules and regulations that any other state government organization has, which makes it really hard to, to do things fast. And uh, procurement is 
a challenge. So sometimes we can go out and, and prove what we need and, and make the right choice. And sometimes we have to go out to market on a, a tender process and the winning vendor may or may not be the technically best solution. And we have to live with that. But for my for my team, with where their skill sets want to go, I have to be very conscious. But if I'm pushing them constantly to do things they don't want to do, they're going to end up leaving. Uh, they're going to go somewhere else where they can do the things they want to do. And I think that it's important on me as I build my team that I hire in people that want to do what we as a corrective team want to do. And we have a lot of uh, meetings around that. Our stand-up, uh, which you know, at the moment is done over Zoom, is very much a daily catch-up. And, and it's not so much, what did you do yesterday? What, what's blocking you? It's very much, this is where we're at. Are we still heading in the right direction? It's almost a daily check of, as a team, we still think we're going in the right direction because we need the feedback loop to be that fast. Because I can't see if my staff are sitting at their desk for 12 hours trying to solve a thing that I made them do that they have no interest in doing. Yeah, that's a really good point um, that I think you know, would be important to, to keep in mind if you are an individual contributor moving into a management slash leadership role that um, you need to almost... If we, if we were to put a sort of a, a technology you know, analogy here, it's almost like you need to be more declarative than imperative. You need to describe your desired state and let them handle that rather than telling them what to do. That's the perfect analogy. I just came up with that on the fly. So there you go. I think there's a whole series of management books about that. Hey, there you go. You heard it here first, folks. You know, management by a declarative state rather than imperative commands. Um, so another uh, another point that we discussed you know, three years ago when you were on was m moving outside your comfort zone. And, uh, you know, this is something that a lot of folks talk about. Uh, that is that, you know, as you grow in your understanding of a technology or as you grow in the types of technologies or skills outside of technology that you uh, are using or need in your career, that you should be pushing outside your comfort zone because that's where growth really occurs. And in your particular case, you had mentioned that, you know, you really put this to work when it came to like attending conferences, that you would attend a conference that didn't necessarily fully align with sort of where you were, but instead kind of, you know, hey, this is a, this is a thing that I don't necessarily work with a lot, so I'm going to go attend this conference or whatever, right? Um, and, and I've had some other guests on uh, recently talking about sort of how you can use the idea of sort of adjacent technologies to build a path, you know, like right now you are a, you know, let's say you're a networking person, but you want to move into something else. So you can find sort of an area that's adjacent to networking and then make that step and then find the next area that's adjacent to that. And you're always sort of building on the skills that you have, but expanding them in the direction where you want to go. Right. Um, and, and pushing yourself slightly that way. So my question for you is sort of, you know, for listeners who, who have heard that saying, you know, oh, go outside your comfort zone, let's be very practical. Sort of how far outside the comfort zone did you feel you needed to go? How far outside the comfort zone do you feel you need to take your, your team as you help them grow as a leader, right? And, um, and then following up on that, should these new areas, and should they be completely unrelated to sort of whatever they're doing now? Um, or should we sort of be following that adjacent technology path to build on what they already have into something, some new area? I think I'll start at the end with that one. I think starting with the adjacent path is definitely the easier way to go. It allows you to, to feel much more like you're, you're winning goals as you go along. You're achieving things, doing the, going through the process of 
of moving along this path. When you do a, a huge jump, so when we last spoke, I was doing Puppet at a bank. I was helping them architect a Puppet automation system for Solaris. It was 100% in my comfort zone. It was a bank, which is where I most naturally sit when it comes to organizations. It was Puppet, which I'd just spent two years uh, working on. And it was Solaris, which I uh, was the first technical certification I ever received. So I was 100% in my comfort zone. And I actually left that job not long after we spoke and I joined uh, British Telecom working in a big data cybersecurity capacity. So I completely turned around in what I was doing and it was very much off the deep end. I'd never run a Kafka cluster before. I'd never run Elasticsearch before. I'd never had to deal with Hadoop. The only thing that was familiar was Puppet. Everything else was new. And that was a huge challenge for a long time. It took me a very long time to feel comfortable that I was contributing to that team. Uh, fortunately, the manager of that team made the time to make sure that when he hired someone, he didn't expect everybody to be an expert straight away. He knew this was, at the time, a relatively uh, nascent technology that pe most people weren't familiar with. I, I recognize it's been around for quite a while, but it was still, it was very early still in the enterprise. And that was challenging. And then I decided to do an MBA, and that was certainly well outside my comfort zone. And again, it was a, I felt like it was an adjacent step because it was important to me, but it was also, there were times when I was sitting in, uh, Accounting for managerial decisions, which is uh, the, you know, the postgraduate accounting subject you have to do. It's the first time I've ever done an accounting subject. Uh, I've run my own business for over 15 years and done the accounting every year, done uh, everything except my tax returns. And nothing that I knew was in this subject because it was back to basics. It was uh, T-charts and how to do cash flow statements, which you know, I have software for that. That's what Zero and my MYOB is for. So it was... I was sitting in this class, why am I doing an MBA? I don't understand it. I don't want to do this. I don't understand this. This is not where I want to go. And then one of the other students who sat near me uh, was, was asking me one week about the homework we'd had to do. She'd had some trouble doing it. And I started, you know, I, I'd, I hadn't done it because I didn't enjoy it, but I did understand what we were doing. So I sat down and sort of started explaining it to her. And I realized what I was enjoying was, was that peer teaching. And that made it easier for me to remember and I scraped through the exam, but accounting is a blight on my academic record that I will never, never be able to clear, uh, right up there with finance. But there, it's the price of entry for an MBA. You have to do those things. And there are other tech, you know, there are other paths I could have gone, uh, you know, becoming an AWS architect or even a, a VMware uh, V expert. The price of doing that is you have to understand so much more than the thing you're interested in. Most of the experts I know can quite comfortably talk about Active Directory architectures and how that works because they have to to be able to do the whole V expert advice. Whereas most VMware engineers I know don't know anything about Active Directory. So I think it's good to continually challenge. And with my team, uh, I, I told them when I started, and I probably should remind them just in case they've forgotten. And they, uh, but uh, strong opinions, weekly held. I love uh, getting up with a whiteboard and just arguing out a couple of different designs or ideas and working it through. And that's hard now with, with distance. I've tried a few different variations. I've got a, a Lenovo yoga tablet that I use sometimes, but my team don't have that. Some of them have a, a tablet PC, some don't. I've used webcams pointing at the whiteboard. The focus is not great, uh, but it, we've tried a few different ways to recreate that experience of actually challenging each other and sitting down and going, why is Grafana and Prometheus the best solution? Now, what alternatives could we come up with? 10 minutes, just draw alternatives. 
and suddenly you have to sit there and think about what other tools are there, what do they connect to, would they provide better information? And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do with that tool. We're trying to communicate information, not data, information. The data is the metrics. That's, that's a given. But what we're trying to communicate is, is, this a, you know, is the data good or bad? You know, traffic lights or a gauge or bar chart, whatever it is. What is our current status? And what's the best way to do that? And we had to step outside our comfort zone to do that. Aiding your journey to becoming a full-stack engineer is full-stack journey sponsor, IT Pro TV. Going full-stack is partly about career growth, right? And online IT training from IT Pro TV, that can help you grow. And they can help you, the savvy full-stack journey listener, grow at a 30% discount off of all IT Pro TV plans. More on that in a minute. A recent MIT study found that IT occupations have grown by 19.5% between 2004 and 2019. Compared to other jobs, that's more than eight times the growth over the past decade. That's right. Earnings have grown significantly for individuals working in IT. So if you're in IT, you've picked the right gig. But don't set your career on cruise control thinking, eh, it's all good. Change is the norm as evidenced by the full stack movement, right? And to keep earning that big paycheck, you need to keep your skills up. IT Pro TV has you covered from CompTIA and Cisco to EC Council and Microsoft and many more vendors, more than 4,000 hours of on-demand training. Engaging hosts present information in a talk show format and they're live every day. And shows go from that live studio to the web in 24 hours so that you can stream them. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job role, and you can stream those courses live and on demand worldwide via Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. Learn IT, pass your certs, and land that fancy new full stack job you've had your eye on with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash full for a seven-day free trial and 30% off all plans. Use promo code full at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout. One more time, itpro.tv slash full and use promo code full at checkout to try it free for seven days and save 30% off all plans. And now back to today's discussion. I want to come back just real quick to the, uh, the strong opinions weekly held, you know, um, teams that I've worked on in the past also took that same approach. Uh, they use the term strong opinions loosely held, but same, same idea. But I think, uh, you know, I, I hear that a lot and I, I think you and I are in agreement, but I just want to, for the benefit of the listeners, just, um, examine that a bit more. I see that as, you know, Hey, let's, let's go in with, we have a perspective and a viewpoint on how this should be done, but let's not be so dogmatic in that viewpoint that we aren't curious enough or open enough to learn that there might be a different way or a better way for this particular use case. And is that sort of the way that you would summarize that, you know, phrase for your team? Yeah, definitely. And I think that I've been accused in the past of, always wanting to be right and and again that was something i had to i had to take that feedback and work out what was it about the way i was communicating that made that come across i don't have all of the answers uh unless my son asks in which case i do have all of the answers um but what i do have is uh, a lot of experience and certainly uh, unfortunately these days i've got 10 years on the rest of my team and what that means is sometimes i've gone down these paths before and i've got a preconceived idea about what that where we're going to end up. 
A bad idea might be based on technology that's 10 years out of date and therefore no longer relevant to the conversation. One of the things that most people, especially in consulting, and, and I may have only spent a year at Deloitte before I realized that I did not want to be a partner at Deloitte. And since I was already a director, a partner was the next step and, and I got out. Uh, but one of the things that they have is when you're doing a report, those, those consulting reports, and, and we all, you know, in technology, we make fun of them a lot, but those reports are, are often hundreds and hundreds of PowerPoint slides of information or pages of information that are then culled down to 30 to 50 at most on average. A lot of the time, you'll spend a day building the perfect slide that communicates exactly what you want to say. But then when you bring it together as a team to put together the final report, your slide ends up on the cutting room floor. And you have to be comfortable with that. You have to be able to defend the slide. Why did you build this slide? Because it needed to communicate A, B, C. Okay, but this other slide does A and this one does B and this one does C and, and we think that's better. All right, uh, you know, let's put my slide on the floor. But it really hurts sometimes when you're going through a deck and you realize every single slide you've done has been pulled out until you realize that all of those other slides were built on top of your slides. The information was used, but it was just used in a different way. That's a very, uh, I try and live it. I, I know that I could always be better. And as I said, I probably need to remind my team that that is my ethos because they may have forgotten uh, and they may just think that I'm argumentative and I do need to check in on that. Yeah, I think for me, the, the value of the, you know, the approach of strong opinions, loosely held or weakly held, is that you're saying I'm, I'm willing to learn. I'm open to learning something that I hadn't considered before and I'm willing to change my perspective or my viewpoint based on that new information or that new data um, to make sure that I am up to date yeah. or applying the most applicable use of the technology or the architecture in, in any given particular case. That's true. And just very quickly, uh, I think that's to just jump back to the outside of the comfort zone and how far should you go. Uh, you and I have, have something else in common that I'd, I'd completely forgotten about until just now, which is, uh, or at least I assume from your blog, that you've been learning Japanese. I have. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it? Very. <laughs> uh, I, I started learning Japanese when I was about eight, and I'm still unable to have a conversation. Admittedly, I haven't been doing it nonstop, but I've tried a few times. Uh, I, I have to admit, when I saw your Twitter post that you were, you were taking on a role where you were going to be working in Japan, I was so envious. I, I, for a few seconds there, I hated you. I'm like, that's my dream. Why are you doing that? Uh, but it was very much... I've been learning Japanese on and off for a number of years and, and more on for the last few years. It doesn't really help my work most of the time. Occasionally it does. Uh, it, it certainly makes me a bit, uh, a bit short with some of the agile professionals who throw around a lot of Japanese words that they don't understand what they mean. Um, but it also, it lets me have a much deeper experience every time I go to Japan. And I'm, I'm sure that you, you uh, well, again, you probably haven't done too much of that travel to Japan you were meant to be doing, but as you learn a, another language, and, and for me, I have English and I have a small bit of Australian Sign Language and some Japanese and a couple of others that I do not speak well at all. But as you learn the language, you learn the culture and you learn how the, the, how the nation thinks at that cultural level. So you know, the, the very different levels of politeness in Japanese language reflect the, the different levels of politeness in the society versus other languages where the language is much shorter, much uh, it sounds much harsher to us, but it's because they were constantly busy and didn't have a lot of time to relax and communicate in a big flowing you know, romance language. They needed to just get to the point and move on. And I think that while I can't say that Japanese has helped my technical ability 
that much, although it does make Ruby slightly easier to understand, it being a, a language developed by Japanese engineers. But it's a challenge, and it keeps my brain going. And occasionally, I see something, and again, especially around Agile, I'll see something and I'll be like, I know what that means. And I get to feel that little, uh, little uh, frisson of excitement as I realize I know something, but maybe not everybody else in that room knows. And they don't care and they don't need to know. I don't have to tell them, but it just sits there in my head and I'm like, I know what that word really means. Yeah, well, you know, if, um, if, it, if it's any consolation, uh, the dream hasn't happened uh, thanks to a uh, worldwide pandemic. Um, but uh, th there might still be a possibility for ending up in Tokyo for a few months. We'll see. We're still, uh, still waiting to see, uh, you know, how things shake out. But um, if, I, if I do end up in Tokyo, I'll, 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 I'll let you know. <laughs> Look, as soon as uh, travels are out, I, I, we had to cancel a holiday, so we will definitely be going there. And there are a, a lot of, uh, some of them are still there. There are a lot of great engineers at VMware in, in Tokyo that I know. And I'm sure that you're going to love working with them all. Uh, but I mean, that's a huge challenge, stepping outside your comfort zone. I can't remember where you are in the US, but certainly I think uh, Tokyo is going to be a little bit different. Yes, it, it doesn't really matter where you are in the US, Tokyo is going to be a little bit different. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Colorado, by the way. I think there's some parts of San Francisco. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And it certainly is, um, a step outside the comfort zone. Um, and I think that it, it challenges you in a certain way to, to do this. And it sort of keeps you sharp enough to, that when you, when you come back to something that's a little easier, honestly, technology is easier then you don't, you know, you, 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 you feel like, oh, okay, I, I could do this. If I can, if I can learn Japanese or attempt to learn Japanese or struggle through learning Japanese, uh, any of those are accurate for English speakers, then, you know, I can figure out Kubernetes. <laughs> yeah, I, I will definitely buy a Japanese textbook. I have one, thankfully. Um, okay, so the last point I wanted to bring up was real quick, um, something that you had said on the original show uh, uh, in episode five was always be coding. Um, and, uh, you know, this is something that we hear a lot, I think, for folks in the IT industry is that, oh, you know, you need to know how to do some software development. You need to be coding. You need to learn how to program, blah, 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 blah. And I think in some cases that's maybe accurate. In some cases it may be overblown. I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, not only as, you know, an individual contributor, um, but also now as a team leader, you know, what are some ways that folks could actually put that into action? Like what is, what is some practical way that somebody, you know, some infrastructure-centric person, because let's face it, that's what a lot of my listeners are, could say, oh, okay, here's a way I can always be learning how to, to code slash program slash develop slash automate. It's not easy. And I, I have to admit that with the benefit of three more years of, of education and conferences and, and talking to people across a broad spectrum of roles from IT to HR, I actually cringed a little when I heard myself saying that. And, and I, I just want to acknowledge that that very much uh, came from a position of privilege of, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, when I had a son at, at the age of 21, most of my friends uh, said that I was crazy. But now I'm, uh, I'm 39 uh, and I have a son who just turned 17, which gives me a lot of spare time. I'm not running around changing nappies. I'm not you know, dropping him off at 15 different sporting events on the weekend. And I have a wife who's very uh, understanding of my uh, passion of spending a whole weekend in my study, you know, praying on my computer. Um, but in the workplace, I've tried to make that. And this is why I, I, with my staff member that I spoke about earlier, I, I 
I encouraged him to take some time, and I've encouraged all my staff members to do that, uh, to take some time, book it out. Obviously, if I can't have them all do it at once. Uh, but I think that it's still very relevant and it's not easy. I, I don't know Python well. I know Python enough to be able to solve a few problems and to know that I need to Google to solve some other problems. Uh, I know regular expressions well enough to, to match a couple of characters and then I Google it and figure out the rest because I don't do it every day. And I, I try, but I, I've just never quite managed to be able to, to do it regularly enough to, to lock it into muscle memory. But in the workplace, I try and create an environment where my team can do that. And this, this comes back to that uh, declarative rather than imperative. Uh, I, when we uh, moved to remote learning, one of the first challenges we had was uh, our VPN, and a lot of companies I'm sure ran into this, our VPN was not set up for the entire company to work from home at the same time. Because why would you? Uh, that's, a, that's a crazy thing. Why would you, especially when you've got literally thousands and thousands of staff, why would your VPN be that big when on average maybe 20% work from home? So we had to scale our VPN solution, but we also needed to have some better monitoring to have some real-time statistics. And in my home lab, I'd built a uh, InfluxDB and Grafana dashboard. And I thought, we could do this. And I took it to my team and, and they said, yeah, we could do that. And we built it and we wrote a small shell script to log into our VPN server and, and collect the data and push it into InfluxDB. Uh, and then we looked at it and went, actually, the blog post I based my lab on was three years old and all the new ones used Prometheus. So we went, do we need to redo it? And we decided not to. But in our mind, we knew that we would at some point in the future. Uh, and it was very much, we're supposed to be about the next way of doing things. We're not supposed to be a team that is running operational servers, although we do. So we try and take that time to automate as we move. So we're not doing a lift and shift, you know, vMotion type migration of all our VMs into the cloud. We're looking at how can we rebuild Reactect and all of the other R's that I constantly forget and need to remember for my next AWS exam. What that does is lets us take the time to go, how can we automate this tool? And a lot of the things we work with are not easy, especially in education. A lot of the tools were never designed with the idea of DevOps. Uh, the Usenix Lisa conference was a fantastic uh, resource for me uh, unfortunately, I went three years before I started working in education because in America, a lot of the, the big implementations, the, the, the Lisa attendees work at universities. So it was, how can we do this? How can we pick up those skills? And, and again, not just you know, automating and moving into the cloud is one thing, but it's doing it in a way where if my team dissolves and goes other ways, which they will eventually, can the organization continue supporting these and managing these? What does that look like? So we, we try and do infrastructure as code. We try and do everything with automation. Sometimes we make an executive decision that something is more important to get done fast than right, uh, but very few and far between. Uh, and I make them escalate that sort of thing to me before they do it, which uh, I think not in a I'm going to make the arbitrary decision, but more just uh, deciding if something needs to be done right, but take a couple of extra days or fast, but have built up some technical debt is a decision that needs to be made at that manager level, it's because it catches up on you a lot faster than I think anyone realizes. And you look at your backlog and realize you've got you know, a thousand tickets that are all tagged technical debt because you, you didn't automate something. Do I expect my team to learn everything there is about Python? No. Uh, am I happy with where they're at? They've already surpassed me. When I started, I don't think anyone in my team knew Python. Now there's already a couple who asked me to review a, a pull request the other day and I looked at it and realized that I couldn't because I, I couldn't actually understand their Python code anymore. Uh, 
And I'm hoping that's a reflection on my skills and not theirs. It's also, I think, it's, it doesn't have to be a big project. And this, uh, going back to that, that idea of you know, the privilege of, of how much free time I have compared to, to some people. And um, you know, a Raspberry Pi is dirt cheap. A VM is practically free these days. Uh, you know, whether you're running Windows, Linux, or a Mac, you can get free virtualization software uh, whether it's you know, VirtualBox, which runs practically everywhere, or something else, and you can you can spin up a VM and just spend five minutes a day trying to do something. Someone asked recently in a Slack I was in uh, how to do a, a particular. I just had to do an LS on a directory, list all of the contents of the directory that started with a particular letter, and the easiest way is to just use you know, LS space Loretta and then an asterisk, and it just does shell grubbing. A few of us decided to be as obtuse as possible and wrote some ridiculous Perl and Python scripts with some amazing complex regular expressions that did exactly the same thing. But for us, it was just a bit of a challenge to see who could do the weirdest way of doing this. Uh, and it, you know, it didn't take long. It was like 10 minutes of us just sitting there in Slack laughing at each other's efforts. But I think we all learned something out of those efforts. And I know for a fact that I had to Google to get my regex correct, and I'm pretty sure the others did too. But now we remember those because we've got that We've got the emotional moment of the levity of the situation and enjoying it. So I'm pretty sure we're all going to remember those. And then in the future, when we do have to do this somewhere for real, we'll go, I can use regular expressions to do this, or I can use Perl or Python or whatever tool it is in the future. Yeah, uh, that's, it, it's good to note you know, your, your comment about you know, free time. There are lots of listeners who, who may have younger family members, and free time can be challenging. That's actually something that a number of listeners have brought up is, hey, we'd love to hear a show about you know, how to, how to balance, you know, work and life, how to, how to balance this need for professional development and, and to always be learning with, you know, the, the demands of being, you know, a father or, uh, you know, a family member of some sort or whatever. Um, haven't found a good guest for that yet. I'll, I'll keep my eyes open, but, but certainly, um, you know, I'm, I'm in a similar boat. My kids are grown. It's just my wife and I were so-called empty nesters. And so I have time to do those sort of things. Right. And not everyone does. Um, so certainly just saying, you know, hey, just take five minutes, just take 10 minutes, whatever, and do something uh, is, a, is a, I think, the kind of practical advice that, you know, listeners could use. And it, it's, it's the same thing I did for Japanese. I, I have a flashcard app on my phone. While I'm waiting for a lift, I do five flashcards. Uh, while I'm waiting for a bus, I do, well, these days, not very many because we seem to have an unlimited number of buses so that we don't have to sit too close together. But it used to be you'd have 20 minutes. I just do some flashcards. Don't play Candy Crush. Do some flashcards. You can get flashcards for technology, you know, use Anki, make your own. It gives you that opportunity um, to build up your knowledge, just grabbing any moment you can using the tools you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's fantastic advice. So, um, all right, we're coming up on, uh, on our, our time here, Patrick. Thank you so much for rejoining me on the show and revisiting some of the things we talked about uh, when you first joined. Uh, so I owe you double thanks for being willing to come on the show twice uh, and, uh, I know that, um, I have enjoyed the conversation. I hope that the listeners will as well. Um, just in closing again, you want to remind folks, uh, how they can reach you online? Yeah, absolutely. So Patrick Kelso, I'm available on uh, Twitter at Patrick Kelso, LinkedIn, Patrick Kelso, uh, patrickkelso.com will find me, uh, no podcasts or blogs at this time, maybe one day. Uh, and, you can always, uh, as I said, you can find me in quite a number of Slacks, but Rand Leaders, Rand's Leadership Slack is probably the, the easiest one to find me on. It's a public one. 
Uh, and if you're in Sydney, Australia, then by all means, uh, let's have a, a coffee or a, a beverage of choice at some point. Uh, I love meeting face-to-face, and it's, it's obviously happening a lot less often at the moment, but it's something that I think is really important. Uh, to help build and, and nurture those communities. I completely agree. So if I ever um, am given the opportunity to come back to Sydney again, I will I will definitely uh, hit you up for that. Listeners, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that you found the conversation with Patrick to be helpful, and I hope that some of the tidbits that he shared uh, about his growth over the last three years and, and uh, sort of the way that he's had to adapt his skills now as a team leader, I hope that they have been useful to you uh, in some way. Um, as always, we appreciate you taking the time to listen, and if you have a moment to uh, give us a review on your podcast platform of choice, whether that be iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or any one of the dozens of others where we can be found. We'd certainly appreciate that. That helps new listeners find us and uh, grow our community. Uh, once again, I am your host, Scott Lowe. You can find me on Twitter as at Scott underscore Lowe. You can hit me up um, using the podcast, which has its own handle, at FSJ Podcast. Um, and uh, this show, along with all other shows, are always available on the Packet Pushers website at packetpushers.net. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. 